Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I am Ben Felt. And this week we are going to be mixing the time streams, crossing the beams and smooshing together bits from Psychomedia's past, present and future. Because we messed around with time so much last week. And we're yeah. all tired. Lingering after down. effects on the uh, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey ball. Exactly. Um, yes, so uh, we thought we'd do a little introduction though because there's no actual... Well, I, I was about to say, there's no actual good reason for us not to be doing an episode this week. There's a very good reason for us not to be doing an episode this week, but it's not one that precludes us from both actually speaking into a microphone for a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's another one of those ones, as you might remember from the last Franken podcast, where prep time is the thing that has been killed off, <laughs> rather than the actual ability to communicate. That, that much-loved character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Necessary but functional at best, I would Joss say. Joss Whedon of real life has. Oh, 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 sorry. Breaking Joss Whedon news that I haven't heard anyone else talking about. Joss Whedon to write and direct Marvel Shield TV series spin off from Movie Universe. You've clearly had your ears plugged in. I heard about this like early yesterday and have been talking about it with lots of people. I just clearly don't have any cool friends. Clearly. But yes, it is rather exciting. Apparently he's going to direct the first episode and apparently Jed and others of the Whedon clan are going to be involved. And yes, it's all wonderful. But what happens when they kill off all of these licensed characters? (laughs) (laughs) Like Nick Fury is going to die in the first episode. You know what surprises me? What surprises me is that uh, Joss Whedon fans haven't got wise to this and therefore refused to declare any kind of liking for any of his characters. It's like, no, no, I don't like, I don't like Agent Coulson. I, I don't think he's very fun. I, I, yeah, he's boring, not at all interesting, engaging in the life and soul of the show. No, 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 no. Um, well, that's because in the Marvel Universe, heaven is a revolving door. We've discussed that before, I think, when we discussed the Avengers. Um, what I would say about it is just, it's like Game of Thrones, is it really possible to even be spoiled on Game of Thrones now if you're told, in the winds of winter, so-and-so character is going to die? It's like, well, Duh. everyone is going to die. <laughs> you know, there's no one who's going to be safe in that show, in that um, book, series, and show. So, yeah. Uh, yes, so that's a thing. Um, that's completely derailed stuff. Do we have any feedback this week, Tim? No, we don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, we don't have any... Uh, we have some feedback. Uh, shall I? Actually, no. I think you should go first because you've got some more actual, like, real, constructive, helpful feedback. Well, I mean, it's it's not really feedback um, because we don't have any this week. Uh, but we have recently been uh, referenced. Well, I say referenced. We've been linked on uh, the blog of a friend of mine who is also Oxford. Uh, it, name... <laughs> I love the specificity of that. In what sense? The fact that he's a friend or the fact that we've been linked rather than referenced? He was the friend of mine. (laughs) Friend of ours. Well, you know. He hates me. And who can blame him? Um, (laughs) Yes, uh, a guy called Jim Everett. His blog is www.jimaceverett.com forward slash home.html if you're feeling pedantic. Um, He, uh, yes, so he's uh, another psychology student. He's... uh, and he just writes a blog on various issues relating to psychology and stuff. Uh, what stuff has he done recently? Uh, he Robot sexists. Uh, robot sexists is good. I want to talk about robot sexists uh, on, um, on a future episode because that's quite Steel cool. Steal his thunder. Uh, Let's do it. <laughs> uh, he, he did a, one listing the top ten things that he found uh, affect uh, psychology when you're wearing glasses, which... I was quite annoyed at because that would have made a really good episode. Um, I suppose the way of dodging that is to invite him on the show to talk about it, but uh, we'll see if that happens. Um, Anyway, uh, you know, in the spirit of reciprocity, since he linked us, I thought we would link him. And uh, yeah, it's a really good blog, although it doesn't have any jokes on it that I've noticed. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really interesting article, but I keep like there keep being like breaks where I'm like, this is where I would put a joke. (laughs) This this is deeply lacking for Star Wars references and bad puns. <laughs> I mean, I get that when I'm reading academic journals these days. Yeah, well, obviously, I only ever read academic journals for the show, so I get to add my own jokes. <laughs> uh, unless it's, you know, written by Ramachandran or something. In which case well, yeah, true. True, true, true. Um, so, my feedback is even more tangential and passive. Um, 
but it's something I have been meaning to talk about for some time, and that is the top 10 countries that are interested in and listen to Psychomedia. Mm. But then I thought, um, as I was literally just thinking of it now, that I've been watching a quiz show uh, yesterday, not the Media of the Week. Please do not take this <laughs> the Media of the Week. The new Tim Vine... Segments will be flagged and made obvious to you. Please do not get excited thinking that we have accidentally skipped on. Yes, um... Yeah, your iPod is working fine, probably. Um, a Tim Vine quiz called Don't Blow the Inheritance, which involved parent-child teams answering questions, but not necessarily the ones who are going to answer the questions buzzing in. So it's an interesting concept, poorly executed by ITV. But there is a round where basically you have to name 10 things in a category, the top 10 or the last 10 things in a category in 30 seconds. So uh, I just want to see how well can Ben do in 30 seconds of naming the top 10 countries who listen to Psychomedia. I'll count you in five, four, three, two, one, go. Angora, Afghanistan, Albania, Argentina, uh, Britain, Bosnia. Yes. Okay, that's one. <laughs> uh, Beirut and, uh, oh, Canada. Okay, you're halfway there. Canada? Uh, Canada, okay. Kosovo, Croatia, Chile, uh, uh, I, I just I just can't think of any countries anymore. This All is awful. The things you said aren't countries, <laughs> and that's your time up. That was you the plan. Angora, which is the type of jumper, and Beirut. <laughs> Angola, that's what I meant. And that's I not a country. You're I just like you're doing like a terrible racist Japanese accent. Um, um, I was mixing up. I was trying to leverage my uh, thing that I did this week, which involved being very very slowly exposed to countries in alphabetical order with one exception <laughs> oh it doesn't seem to have stuck my my, my pa- family did not believe that there was a country called barbuda because i was trying to remember which country rihanna was from and i can never remember if it's barbados or barbuda and they like don't you mean bermuda i'm like no barbuda is a place and so the vindication when antigua and barbuda walk in i'm just like real country real country <laughs> in your faces antigua and barbuda isn't our top 10 the usa is number one USA. USA. Really? I'd rather sort of hoped that, uh, um, you know, Britain might actually... The UK is a close second. Okay. Uh, Canada third. Australia fourth. That's Anglophone uh, stuff. Brazil fifth. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Thailand is uh, sixth. Okay. Turkey seventh. New Zealand eighth. Okay. Thailand and Turkey have confused me somewhat. The Netherlands... Uh, ninth and India tenth. Is, so sorry, of is this those downloads or uh, views on psychomedia.wordpress.com. Right, okay. Um, so yeah, but you don't get that many views for just like the random internet hopping things. You know that get, leave us with ones like Zimbabwe and Moldova and stuff. Yes. As cool as those are. Um, so yeah, that like Brazil, not an anglophone country. Thailand, not an especially anglophone country. Turkey, not an anglophone country. Netherlands, hmm. isn't that cool? It turns out that not being able to speak English as your first language is definitely helpful when listening to this show. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, so uh, yeah, that that is the feedback for this week. So yes, Ben, you were talking about countries. What what possibly could you have possibly done this week? Uh, well, I visited all the countries, um, so that was that was my thing. No, uh, this week I was extraordinarily lucky uh, in that um, the girlfriend's father uh, managed to get his hands on some tickets for the Paralympic opening ceremony, and I got invited along, which was terribly exciting because um, it turned out at one point during the ceremony, you know, he his. Uh, very nice guy you know um we get on very well uh, and i uh when i first heard about this was like okay well, let me know how much the tickets are and i'll i'll pay for them it's like no 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 no. Of well i've not. seen wouldn't, his house i would not say that wouldn't uh wouldn't dream of it uh and you know very kind of him i it made extra certain to buy a round of drinks while we were at the place um but at, uh, early on in the ceremony he did turn around to me and was like oh ben by the way uh it turns out uh, these tickets are worth 500 pounds each I was like, whoa, this was much more generous than I previously thought. Um, but yeah, they were really good seats. Uh, and yeah, I felt deeply fraudulent being there. Uh, but it was really absolutely astonishingly fantastic. I heartily recommend you try and catch whatever coverage of it there is. By the sound of things, we were having a conversation about this before the sh- uh, show started. It sounds like they've cut 
quite a significant portion of it from the beginning, possibly. I mean, th- we were watching on Chasing Playback so my brother could make dinner. So it might be that I fast-forwarded a bit that didn't look like Ceremony. Mm. Um, but yes, because there was a countdown clock. There was a countdown clock that counted 10 seconds in, mm. and then they entered the stadium, and that was like the start. And I think Stephen Hawking was one of the earliest things we saw. Right. Um, so it was directly before that. There was uh, the best bit apparently. Well, w- one of the best bits. They did. Um, there was sort of an opening by a sort of compare, and this was all before it was going to be live, um, and some slightly ill-advised music, but that was fine, kind of thing. Uh, it got everyone sort of a bit warmed up. Um, but then they put on a pre-recorded kind of segment about a number of the people who were participating in the opening ceremony, not. Paralympians themselves, okay. but um, that people were, like disabled performers. Yeah, disabled performers. Um, oh well, actually, only one of them was technically a performer um, who were participating in a, okay. a part of the dance later on. But there was also um, a woman who had been present at the first ever Paralympic Games and won uh, gold in archery at the first. Oh wow! Which was kind of impressive, That's and she so was cool. also involved in the ceremony at some point. And there was uh, the thing that I thought was probably the best for me for some reason. I um, can't remember if this has come up before, but aeroplanes make me get me choked up often. Uh, it's a Man, s- I mean, Tony Scott passing away must really have got to you then. I've never seen, uh, never seen Top Gun. But, oh, it's um, good. It is good. It, yeah. Um, not sure about that one. Not really so much those kinds of aeroplanes. Um, but anyway, so this uh, was uh, um, a soldier who had been injured in a in an accident, a car accident in Afghanistan, and um, had you know learned to walk and everything, and then had been uh, taken part in um, a sort of disabled flying school, uh, learned to fly, and on, on the video it was kind of like, uh, you'll see me at some point. Um, I'm not going to say how, but you should look up. And it was clearly meant to be that at that point the audience look up and he would fly over in the plane. The timing was a little bit off, but thankfully they also had like camera footage of the plane as it was flying over the Olympic Stadium with like sparklers coming out of the wings. And it did do a flyover of the stadium and we did all see it and it was amazing. Um, Okay. I think now you say it, I remember seeing something with sparklers. So I may have just fast forwarded through it by accident because it was all just like the interview. Take a introduction bits that they were doing on Channel 4 that were quite boring. This is true. Uh, it may well have been. There were quite a lot so of I'll sparklers. Have to go back. It I've must have been pointed out. I, I didn't watch the second half. I went to sleep during the uh, parade of the athletes. Yes, that is um, a very easy thing to do. I got as far as like M or something, but it's as, so as it becomes clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Although I think they were faster than the supposedly able-bodied athletes mm. of the Olympics. So because there's there that. Were fewer of them, though still well, an inordinately large number. Um, um, yeah. The best thing, actually, you should watch uh, maybe the last five, ten minutes of the parade of the athletes. Okay. Just because, uh, so it, it, you know, obviously it goes in alphabetical order, and you're working through, and it coming up on G, and you're like, oh, there's going to be a big cheer coming up soon, and it kind of gets to uh, the one before Great Britain, and then it goes to Greece, and you're like, oh, it doesn't go to Greece because Greece going first, unless it's different at the Paralympics. Uh, oh wait, no, it doesn't, because they didn't invent the Paralympics, so maybe it was at G. Okay, sorry. But anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, th- this is rather the point that I'm trying to come to. Not knowing all this background, it was the, like uh, I assumed that it would just be all in alphabetical order. So it got to G, and I was mm. like, right, Great Britain must be coming up. But no, it's not. And we're like, okay, I guess they may- must be called like the United Kingdom of Great Britain or the United Kingdom or something like that. Gets to you, nothing turns up, and so they sa- they're clearly saving it to last. And you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. That I mean, they kind of we founded the games. It's it's now we're the host nation, so you know that's reasonable for them to go at the end. I mean, it's a little bit favoritist, but I guess that's their prerogative. And it gets to uh, all the countries having been done except Great Britain, and this massive fanfare starts. The like country announcer goes absolutely ape in his box and starts screaming about Great Britain and like. Uh, confetti explodes from all sides and there is a huge firework display as the British athletes come out and at Freud that, says whoa well at that point the US uh, athletes were parading past our section of the stadium and there are a lot of them and they got a pretty big cheer um, and you know we were clapping them quite a lot and then this happened and everyone just went crazy 
and was no longer concentrating on any of the other athletes in the stadium. And they, they all looked kind of a bit miffed, I have to say. Um, well, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, the host nation usually comes last, at least at the Olympics. I see. Well, um, and Greece usually comes, well, no, Greece always comes first at the Olympics, whether that's true, because we invent, as we said, invented the Paralympics and we're hosting them for the first time since the Stoke Mandeville yeah. original ones. It would be a bit, uh, bit much to come first and last. Yes, I suppose so. You could split the team in half or something, but that would be a bit ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good to see. Um, that part of it was good. The rest of it was very awesome. And well, just like the rest of it was just like we invented all the physics. <laughs> yeah, having, and then um, but, my you know, brother's girlfriend was there, and she's a physicist. So we were like, she, you know, she says all the best physicists are British, apart from Einstein. And we were trying to name physicists who weren't British. So we're like Dirac, she's like, no, from Bristol. Rutherford, nope, British. Did most of his work in America, but British. It's just like, wow. Okay, then <laughs> can't think of anyone who isn't Einstein who was good at physics. We are good at them physics. Uh, yeah, but you know, it's cool to see Ian McKellen, Stephen Hawking, and the Queen in the same venue in one evening so that, yeah there's a pretty good uh, daily mash about uh magneto watches channel four meets the superhuman program disguises himself as ian mckellen destroys paralympic stadium <laughs> to defeat enemy superheroes <laughs> that's pretty good uh so i might have to link that i suppose yeah, I having now mentioned it yep and not done it justice yes uh, <laughs> i've done it justice league oh yeah um you see, I just object to it because it's a DC yeah, rather than a Marvel thing. I understand. <laughs> Even I felt uncomfortable with bombs. that joke. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it weird? Yeah. Well, well at, least, at, least at least it's it was... not the joke we cut. Yeah, it was a marvellous ceremony, though. So um, thinking of the joke we cut... No, oh yeah. <laughs> Keep talking about the ceremony. It's much more interesting than what I've done. Um, well, the, the only other thing I kind of wanted to say about it was that on this vaguely more serious note, there is something quite uniquely inspiring about it. I mean, I really did enjoy the olympic opening ceremony and the watching the olympics but it was a different and it was very you know inspiring and moving and all this but it was kind of a slightly different feeling to what you got at the paralympic opening ceremony because you know the main olympics is fantastic or the the level of athleticism and just sort of pure physical achievement of those people involved is kind of awesome to see and they're, they're people who spend their lives kind of pushing the human body to its absolute limits. But they are, by definition, gifted. You know, in the poker game of genetics, they have been dealt a royal flush. And then they're now kind of pushing that even further. Well, I mean, even with like the idea of Mo Farah, the circumstances of his life, because his twin brother is still in Somalia. Yeah. Um, you know. Oh, yeah. And I'm not, I, I, I don't want in any way to belittle the achievements of any of the Olympic athletes. Far from it. But it's just saying... By comparison, the relatability. The, the Paralympians in that same poker game don't have a hand to bet with, so you know it's it's, it's a very different kind of astronomic achievement. And yeah. also, in terms of the sort of inspiration value for you know corpulent wasters like you and I watching the games. <laughs> yes, I am. I was to going to object to corpulent, uh, but you know, <laughs> um, cheese quantity at the minute too high to deny. Yeah, lots of cheese. Um, the when you watch someone like Usain Bolt, who he's, he's just going so far beyond our capabilities that it's hard to feel motivated by it because you're never going to even come close to that. Um, but when you can, when you see someone with no legs run nearly as fast as someone who arguably has the best legs on the entire planet, you can't help, in that instance, feel like maybe you should make a you know a bit of an effort to get down the gym slightly more. Or yeah, they are doing amazing things with what they have, and what they have is, in many senses, not a lot. Yes, and yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about the Special Olympics, uh, which isn't tied in with the Olympics and the Paralympics in the same way. It doesn't happen on the same four-yearly cycle, and it doesn't follow the same bids. Mm. So the last one was in 2011 in Athens, uh, which is for people with learning disabilities. Mm. Uh, and obviously, I'm not thinking of it as like, right, I could win the dyspraxic category. Um, is there one? I don't know, actually. It's, they're not done by in terms of what you have. They create divisions based on assessments of your ability um, so that you're kind of comparing likability with likability, even if it's not necessarily for the same reasons that you've got that certain level of impairment. Right. Which is kind of confusing. See, I, I found this quite interesting. I wanted to look, on, uh, look up some of uh, the, re the records in the Paralympics. And if you go on the... Um, Paralympic movement website and go to their records page it will give you for example the men's 100 meter record 
but it's not a record. It's maybe 20 records. Yeah, because there's all sorts of different the, categories. All the different classes. Um, and, the you know, the Paralympic records range from, you know, around about the 10 second mark to the 25 second mark. Um, which I thought was, yeah, very interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But because I work with people with learning disabilities, some of whom are very athletic, mm. I was thinking it's a shame that we can't either have like an integrated Paralympics mm. or else, you know, in th- three weeks time, be moving on to the Special Olympics yeah. in 2012. Be nice because I think this is going to do amazing things for disability rights in this country. Yeah. I'm sure that will have a knock-on effect in terms of intellectual disabilities or learning disabilities Mm. but wouldn't it be great if we could see some inspiring you know people who have severe or moderate learning disabilities doing this amazing stuff as well yeah i agree so you know so i hope that the next time it comes around in three years time or well the winter ones in one year's time Mm. um that there is a lot of prominence to it would be nice would be nice um and to end on a suitably more frivolous note um, because, jeez, we don't want to get all serious on this thing. Um, I was quite sad because I had to leave the ceremony early um, because we needed to get back the same evening um, and because uh, the girlfriend was working in the morning and all this kind of thing, um, which was fine. We kind of watched to the end of the Parade of the Athletes, but that meant that we missed the opportunity to take part in the largest synchronised apple bite of all time. Oh, that's sad. Which is really quite sad. And I was quite upset by that. Um, But I do still have the apple that they gave me. Oh, right. So you have the apple. Right here. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to bite it now on air. And then hopefully the BBC can just copy and paste the MP3. Channel 4. Yeah, sorry. They they don't have adverts in real life, Tim. I just assumed that it... Okay, so Channel 4... Uh, maybe it'd be a bit of a stretch for them, but okay. Channel Four can ask someone from the BBC to copy and paste <laughs> my crunch into the audio file of the sixty thousand others. Um, maybe would you it. like a five-second countdown? Because apparently that's what they did at the show. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you can wave your arms about with glow sticks, that would also be. Oh, possible. I saw some of those people, and I was just they, like, oh, oh my job. god, the the helpers, the, like I don't care about the athletes the helpers should have had urine testing like they <laughs> they must have been on something they Amphetamines they the were dancing the constantly the entire way through the like two solid hours of the parade of the athletes and there, see- there was just one woman basically on her own not with any other um helpers around her just dancing her little heart out directly in front of us the whole time it was truly very inspiring but she Basically, must have been on drugs in 2005 when we got the bid what happened was that whenever the police shut down an illegal rave instead of charging the people <laughs> they just took their addresses and sent them on to sebco <laughs> sebco said we're going to give you an amnesty if you will come and take mdma and dance at the opening ceremonies <laughs> and that was and gosh darn it they did see that is the the final it, uh, p- component of what should be the four-pronged approach to the Olympic movement. You should have the Olympics, the Paralympics, the Special Olympics, and the Augmented Olympics, <laughs> which is for athletes who have taken the perfect concoction of uh, performance-enhancing stimulants. And yeah. basically, if anyone is done for doping in any of the other conditions, then they should just have their score moved into <laughs> the equivalent, you know... The, the augmented, yeah, because okay. you could you could have augmented and uh, performance disenhancing drugs. So you could have, you know, I'm well, sure I know other people. Positive have... for marijuana because he'd had a special brownie. <laughs> the first guy who tested positive for marijuana in the modern drug testing regime had his medal reinstated because oh. it's not counted as a performance enhancing drug. That's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm well aware that this is in no way an uh, an original concept or indeed original comedy material. I'm, I feel like maybe remembering it, an episode of Mock the Week. I was feeling like maybe Idiazard did it as well. But oh, uh, yeah, no. I'm not claiming Mock of the Week is original. That's <laughs> most being discussed. Nonetheless, I think it should be a thing. Uh, and all of those uh, uh, Olympic helpers who were extraordinarily friendly and wonderful should totally be entered for like yeah. the 2,000-minute the marathon rave session. Right. Or something. Anyway, yeah, let's, let's bite this apple. Okay, hang on. I just need to... Okay. Ready? Hang okay. on, I'm just polishing it. Okay, right. Okay, I'm going to count you in from five. Okay. Five, four, three, 
two, one. Mom. Oh, yeah. I didn't think you're through. <laughs> I mean, it's a good apple, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but that was a really big bite. <laughs> it sounded absolutely huge. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is good. Tim, can you take the rest of the show? Um, well, why don't I briefly tell you about what my week was like? Oh yeah, I'll just sit here and eat this apple while you relay your tragic and unfortunate week. So this week I had a car crash. I'm sorry, hang on. Let me me stop eating the apple. (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite sympathetic, is it? I am fine. I'm sorry. Everything is fine. The money problems of insurance who are obviously an administrative and bureaucratic nightmare are mostly fine um mm. i have to buy a new car which is a bit of a hassle um it's rather but i mean at least you know uh, and at least yeah. you're you know alive and unharmed yeah that was, i am uh, unharmed i was shocked I, you know. to hear this and i'm very glad so yeah, i have forgotten to tell ben about this clearly i haven't publicized it you know mm. obviously i don't you don't really kind of think right well you do but you don't necessarily do it think right post on facebook you're no you're no richard hammond no, I suppose not. Uh, I wasn't going at a high speed, for one thing. But travelling in storms can be dangerous. Um, so, yeah, I've got to buy a new car. and I've got to exercise judgement in buying a new car. Trouble is, m- the sort of cars that I like are really for spurious and frivolous reasons. And that's bad. I don't think I... you can get land speeders, I'm afraid. Land, ro- well, land Rovers, mainly. Have you seen the yes. article online of, yeah, exactly, <laughs> the bike technology? Yep, so, it's a thing. Maybe not my next car, but my next, next, next car. Yeah, well, on behalf of myself and the Psychomedia audience, can I say, uh, well done, and we're very glad that you are alive and well and okay. So, yep. good luck with, with your future Kari endeavours, and, and try not to, you know, crash again. I, I will try, I will. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful. I was being careful but aquaplaning you know schmitz happens yeah 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 so should we move on to media of the week sure why not do you want me to do my media of the week maybe yeah because this is apple it's good (laughs) so i don't know if apple counts as a media i don't think you're allowed that (laughs) no so yeah i am spoiled for media this week so that's not going to be a problem I mean, I'm sure I could be, but I picked something and I told someone on Twitter that I was going to make it media of you the did, week, so true. I've got to stick to that. So, uh, yeah, um, the media of the week is the webcomic slash graphic novel Video Nasties by Chris Doherty. Um, and it is brilliant. It's the scariest comic I think I have ever read. Hmm. Uh, I'll just, like, set up the plot. Essentially, a high school boy um, is obsessed with an attractive but pretty nasty girl. Um and when for a school project, uh, she starts doing a documentary about three children who disappeared from their school 10 years ago, he decides that he'll get involved on the camera side because his mate works at the video shop and he knows, except during kind of the 90s when the video shops were a thing, or maybe even a bit earlier, um, he knows that he can help and also it'll be a chance to get to know her and get close to her. And then they uncover some stuff and it's so so brilliantly like skin crawlingly spine chillingly unpleasant yeah fantastically done wonderful black and white art that sees through the eyes of a teenager i must admit i must give credit to the monkey on my back podcast they totally put me onto it um with a spotlight but you should read it online slash you should buy it in print it is incredible it's really good but yeah if you have a nervous disposition if you're scared of being abducted and turned into a snuff video don't read it right bear that in mind uh well okay so we've had one like yeah it's it's a week of contrasts so yeah, yeah. Uh, from got that all of the positivity and light side and i've got all of the dark side and uh, bad luck yeah I, I i think this media of the week thing is going to be an issue because uh over the week i had three instances where i was like right there's no contest this is my media of the week so i'm going to rattle through three of them that aren't my media of the week and then talk at length about the one that actually is Okay. The three that aren't. Uh, the first is a song by a uh, post-rock band called Maserati, um, and the song is uh, called Monoliths Slash Thieves. It's on a on an EP. Tim, you are intimately familiar with this song. Um, 
it possibly came... my favourite Maserati song, and that is it's, a tough battle. It is stunningly good. We'll link it, if we can, in the show notes. Uh, oh, yeah. Really good kind of, uh, you know, uplifting post-rock, as, at best it should be. Um, the second is... Uh, actually, these are the three songs, and none of them are my media of the week. The second is, you, if you're sort of internet, if you're immersed in the stinking cesspool that is the internet, you've probably come across this. It is uh, the recent release by uh, K-pop uh, uh, artist Psy, uh, the song Gangnam Style, and it's wonderful and amazing, and I've been doing the dance almost non-stop since I first saw it. Um, so enjoy that. And the final... Um, I think we would enjoy it if we could actually see a video of that for the fans. Uh, maybe. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll do an artist's impression. Um, <laughs> the final one is something that I came across today from someone linking on Facebook. It is the uh, uh, 70s disco version of the Star Wars theme from the album Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk by Mecco. Uh, I was going to say, I know some disco versions of that song, but I'm not sure if I've heard this one. Well, I might have done. It's truly wonderful. And once again, it, the uh, the breakdown in the middle eight where it goes to the Cantina Band theme is particularly yep. wonderful. Um, so we'll link that in the show notes too. So I may already have that on my iPod Probably. and have owned it on a CD since I was a child. I would maybe. expect so. Anyway, <laughs> thing you know, that I really want to talk about this week is not uh, music or indeed any other kind of media that I had kind of anticipated talking about it is in fact a magazine uh that i, f- dun, dun, dun. That I found in a wh uh, that i not a wh Smith, so you I found f- in a skip i found it in a sainsbury's yeah, found it in the woods along with all the other porn um <laughs> no, it's not it's not a pornographic magazine as you will soon find out uh it is new raster mouse magazine making a bad ting good um it's difficult really to describe this but it is essentially a children's magazine about a Rastafarian mouse. I'm not sure there's really much more to say about this. Um, as yeah, well, I'll, I'll link some of the TV show for our okay. American friends so, who haven't experienced the awesomeness that is Rasta Mouse. I obviously hadn't experienced this either, not really knowing about TV. I did manage to... Or CBBS, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. I managed to kind of, through forensic analysis of the magazine's content work out that it was based on a tv show or at least i really hoped that it was because it is absolutely wonderful i will read the front page for you new making a bad ting good raster mouse puzzle fun with dalickle orphans and there's three rather cute little mice going squeak 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 uh there is a picture of uh, who i can only assume to be raster mouse himself wearing a rather fetching uh knitted dread sack uh, and holding uh, a big red guitar uh, saying wicked gift I have the big red guitar here it sounds like this oh, right. I assumed when you were playing this before the show that you'd bought a ukulele no this is in fact a jamming plastic guitar uh, underneath Raster Mouse is one of his compatriots uh, i see if I can identify him from the he's a member of Da Easy Crew uh, and he's saying they're he's... a detective agency are they really? detective agency called Da Easy Crew. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, so uh, he he's um, instructing the children uh, or adult purchasers of the magazine to make me hat and bongos, uh, <laughs> which you can do from the front and back pages. Uh, we're going to play, he, he once again said, apparently this is Zuma who is who's saying this. He's Zuma's banging bongos and hat. Look, this is a sticker page. This is a sticker page. You'll need two empty snack pots, two elastic bands, and some paper to make your bongos. And then the hat is on the back page. So, you know, activities to do, which is all good. I'm not... I think it's really rather wonderful, you know, in the terms of peace and love aspect of things. It's not very good for teaching kids grammar. Yeah, but neither was Pingu, you know? <laughs> that is true. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm absolutely bewildered and overjoyed by the concept of uh raster mouse magazine uh yeah anyway so you should all go out and immediately buy raster mouse magazine oh my god there's a sticker page <laughs> wow my desk at work is going to get like 10 it's going to assume that you have an actual child 10 percent more jamming which is ironic <laughs> given that i'm i think only um, only half of my office doesn't have children, um, despite them all being the same age as me, which is kind of frightening. Uh, but yes, anyway, oh, Raster Mouse magazine. 
buy it, love it, uh, etc. And put stickers on your work desk. <laughs> yes, and just, you know, be jamming. Okay. And ting. Yeah, I, I was going to not say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to not, but then I did. Okay, um, let me tell you what the science is going to be in this show. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be all about attraction again. We recorded a whole, you know, like shows essentially worth of science of uh, attraction, I think, basically. Um, so, yeah, we're going to uh, throw that in here. There's no real good transition from Rasta Mouse to attraction. And if there is, I don't want to know about it. Um, it's all you need, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, enjoy that. And uh, there will be a quick uh, outro once we're done. So, uh, see you on the other side. See you on the other side. So, uh, this study is by uh, Chen Lakshminarayanan and Santos. Uh, 2006, and it's called How Basic Are Behavioural Biases? Evidence from Capuchin Monkey Trading Behaviour. Um, this gives you no indication of the horrors that are about to be perpetrated. <laughs> so the study begins with a quote. Uh, the quote is, Nobody ever saw a dog make a fair and deliberate ex- exchange of one bone for another with another dog. Which is a poorly constructed sentence. Nobody ever saw one animal, by its gestures and natural cries, signify to another, This is mine, that's yours. I am willing to give this for that. That was from Adam Smith in his book, Wealth of Nations. Adam Smith, who I didn't know, was a Scottish philosopher and the pioneer of uh, political economics. Uh, one of the key figures of the Scottish Enlightenment. This is me reading pretty much verbatim, verbatim from Wikipedia. Um, he basically invented modern economics and capitalism. capitalism. Um, and so, for that reason, has is presumably languishing in his own very special circle of hell. Uh, (laughs) He's trapped inside the £20 note. It's like (laughs) Superman 2. General Zod. No. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Our older fans will get that. He was, however, named one of the greatest Scots of all time. A vote from a Scottish... I think capitalism would be more stingy if he was one of the greatest Scots of all time. Quarter Scottish, I'm allowed. It's my (laughs) (laughs) N-word. Wow, it's so early. Um, Anyway... Um, in the time since Adam Smith basically invented economics, it's been discovered by behavioural economists, or, yes, behavioural economists, I guess. Evil psychologists. Basically, psychologists that have turned to the dark side and money. Um, It's been discovered that humans tend to exhibit a a set of relatively stable behavioural biases in in economic situations, two of which are under investigation in this paper. Um, for murder. <laughs> so the first is uh, called reference dependence. I apologise for this. I had to learn a b- bunch of, and try and summarise a bunch of economic principles for the prep for this, so I'm sorry, you're just going to have to suffer through it. First is called reference dependence. This is basically the notion that perceptions of value um, are anchored to a specific reference point. For example, you would judge the value of psychomedia relative to some related standard reference point, for example, the bugle. Or, or to, in that case, you would ju- probably judge it extremely, considered a loss option. Um, more appropriately for the study, you would judge a specific episode of Psychomedia relative to, I don't know, either the best or the worst one we've ever done. I don't know what that might be. Uh, <laughs> America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, so that's the first principle, reference dependence. The second principle is a loss version. This is pretty self-explanatory, it's a tendency for people to experience disproportionate aversion to a given a given economic loss compared to a gain of equal magnitude. For example, you'd experience more aversion to the suggestion of losing a leg compared to attraction at the idea of gaining a leg. Um, I, that seems to make sense, I think, although they're not as cool as four or antlers. Um, anyway. Symmetry. We like symmetry. We do. Tilted symmetry. Uh, incidentally, 
these two biases, along with probability weighing, make up so-called prospect theory introduced by Kahneman and Tversky in 1979. And for any listeners who are interested in further reading, Chen and colleagues recommend a review by a camera published in 2000. I myself would recommend you take a long, hard look at your life, possibly with a view to getting out more. Um, also, and more interestingly, incidentally, as far as I'm concerned, there's a bunch of neurological evidence looking at how value is processed in the brain. Much of this work is done by our ex-tutor, Edmund Rolls. It's not really imperial. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if he's going to be a Sith, he's going to be one of those more fickle Sith. Um, <laughs> I'll get back to you on which Sith Lord he is. You want to go on Wikipedia for a moment? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'd never leave. No. Uh, so, yeah, much of this, uh, ex-tutor of ours, Edmund Rolls, has done a lot of work on the neurological basis of value. Uh, for instance, one paper, uh, Grabenhorst and Rolls, uh, in which they find that ab- absolute value is encoded in the mid-orbitofrontal cortex, uh, um, whilst relative, subjective value, uh, is localised in the anterolateral orbitofrontal cortex and the anterior insula. To, um, I, it wasn't this study, but I remember a specific study looking at uh, s- absolute versus um, subjective value uh, in monkeys. And basically they found that uh, if you um, gave monkeys a task in which they were constantly rewarded with delicious grapes, I think it was, which monkeys really like. Um, and then in another task, you, uh, subsequent task, you then reward them with a banana, which is not as cool as far as monkeys are concerned. They get really annoyed, even though they're still being rewarded with food, and they will literally, like, hurl the banana at the experiment. Um, which is still more pleasant than what they usually hurl. Yes. Um, so, yes, you've got uh, absolute value, you've got subjective value. Uh, interesting little postscript. Um, Rolls, as an author, quite good at self-promotion. Uh, as exemplified I've by never it, heard anyone ever say that, Ben. As exemplified by the 16 references with himself as a primary author and 18 further ones with him as a secondary Did author. Did he cite anything that he didn't work on himself? Oh, yes, plenty. Oh, right, but okay. it was a long article and it was co-written. Okay, <laughs> and it was co-written. There's the key point. I um, mean, he did want to do a lecture course in which all of the reading was stuff that he himself had at least part authored. Uh, yes, anyway. That's and then he didn't sure. do a lecture course anymore. Mm. I'll go into that. Sure. Um, anyway, Chen was interested in just how generalizable these biases, uh, remember, uh, 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 risk, uh, no, loss aversion and reference dependence, how generalizable these biases were. Because there exists some evidence for the fact that they might be applicable in other animals, like rats and pigeons. However, the cognitive lim- limitations of those particular animals make it quite difficult to investigate things like this in a more subtle manner. So... What they decided to do, and according to the New York Times article from which I got a lot of the information about this study, they didn't really have a final aim, a final goal of doing this. They decided to introduce an econom- a basic economic system into a breeding group of monkeys, specifically tufted capuchin monkeys, um, with the Latin name instantly Cebus apella. Hey Tim, would you call it when a bunch of tufted capuchins sing close harmony covers of popular songs? I don't know, but... Macacapella. But you are conscious that I am capable of physical violence at this proximity. I am, it's true. How, Not uh, that capable. I would, I would... I'll spin kick you like the women's taekwondo. <laughs> um, however, I would point out before you spin kick me, for what I quite, I quite like Macacapella, sadly, capuchins are macaques, um, which completely undermines the pun in my estimation. <laughs> they would never have known that. They don't know all like the... No, but it's important, damn it. Anyway... Yes, they introduced uh, Chen and colleagues, got six um, tufted capuchins, and they introduced an economic system, taught them money, basically. Uh, So, why did they choose these? Tufted capuchins make quite good subjects because they are smart, relatively. Um, They're pretty good at problem solving. They use tools, um, and they are relatively close ancestors of humans. Our last common ancestor was around 40 million years ago. So the more traditionally used macaques um, is a little bit closer, about 25 million years. Um, but still... It, I was going to say, is there a reason why it's easier to do with capuchins or the, or no, rather don't. than macaques? No, is it because all the macaques are having their brains kind of done in? Quite possibly. Maybe um, the capuchins are more social. Maybe yeah. it's something to do with the tool use. I don't know. Um, anyway. In the particular experiment, there were six capuchins, three male, three female. They were all unrelated except for one mother-daughter pair, which doesn't really matter. Um, and they were trained to assign value, 
ascribe value to small metal disk tokens um, via a system in which they they could exchange these tokens with, for food with experimenters at specific times. Um, this training took quite a long time, about several months in fact, um, particularly because they the sense of value that the Capuchins experienced in response to the tokens had to be preserved over time. That is, if they received a token on Monday, they had to understand that it could still be exchanged for food on Tuesday. And eventually, they um, did manage to establish this value system, and they started to test the kinds of behavior that were associated with it. Um, now, all the experiments here took the form of goods exchanges, where one capuchin monkey is separated from the um, main living area and goes into uh, an experimental um, uh, area where they can exchange, uh, they're given a, a budget of 12 tokens, and they can exchange these with the experiment of various goods, which will be um, sort of delicacy foods, um, such as jelly or grapes. Apparently, they love jelly. I mean, That's interesting. What do they think about vodka jelly? But it's like going into like it's going into town, isn't it? You go into town, you get some money out the bank, you spend it at the shop. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it's also worth pointing out that outside of the these little settings, the capuchins have plentiful access to mon- monkey chow. Um, which sounds like, it, I don't know, just the word monkey chow makes it sound like it would be quite tasty, but I imagine it isn't. Um, so any preference to they, monkey chow main. Uh, any preference that they may have expressed would have purely been based on their, the value of the foods as delicacies rather than actually like nutritional content or anything. So the first experiment that they actually ran, once they'd established that, you know, the monkeys knew that they could exchange these tokens for food and they kind of got the value idea, um, they introduced price shocks, which weirdly for psychology didn't involve electrocuting the animals. Say what? <laughs> I know, right? Um, basically, it was just sudden changes in the value of the goods, the food. So, for example, one day suddenly, twelve tokens would actually be good for twice the amount of jelly as they were the day before. So they got two cubes of jelly rather than just one for a single token. Um, what they found was that the capuchins responded exactly as humans do in this situation. They stockpile the foods when they're cheap. Um, this is what economists would call utility maximization, and it's also a kind of the reference dependence that they were looking for. The reference point being the original price of the food. Yeah. They therefore value kind of value them more highly when the price is low because they know what the original price was. So that's kind of cool. That's sort of point one ticked off. Uh, next, the experimenters introduced elements of gambling. So, um, in these experiments, each capuchin was given the option of trading with one of two experimenters. The first experimenter would exchange one grape for one token, but there would also be a 50% chance of getting a second bonus grape. The second experimenter would give the bonus immediately, um, and then when choosing to trade, there would be a 50% chance to lose it when you bought the second grape. So, economically speaking, these are exactly the same gamble. Um, but the um, the first experimenter is framing it in terms of a potential gain, whereas the second one is framing it in terms of potential loss. I thought this was quite cunning. I mean, yeah, we just can't separate that sort of thing, can yeah. we? And so, soon, presumably, they can't either. Well, actually, no, they can. Ah. And humans can, too. This right. is the loss aversion. Um, no, I meant the two events. I, so oh, we couldn't see. see them as, like, one's a thing. I went into the shop and I bought a grape. Also, I tossed a coin and I got a grape <laughs> because I got heads. Yeah. Instead, we go, oh, well, I bought a grape and then yeah. because we want causality. Yeah, exactly. And this is pretty much a demonstration of causality um, and negative causality being mm. uh, avoided more or less, more aversive. Um, Chen found that the Capuchins preferred the first experiment because the gamble was a potential gain rather than a potential loss. This is loss aversion, so that's kind of good. And that's pretty much as far as it goes in terms of the basic economic findings. Um, in the paper that was published, the authors go into a lot more detail of precise behaviours and the different stages. But the New York Times article I was re- reading reveals a few more little insights, which apparently the authors weren't too keen on ah. revealing, kind of in this sort of scientific, pursuing in a scientific manner for reasons which will become apparent. Um, elements that indicate exactly how accurately the monkeys were mirroring human behaviour. 
So first off, uh, there were indications, that the, this is kind of relatively neutral, there were indications that the Capuchins were trying to work out what properties of the tokens denoted their value. So we kind of know as humans that coinage is hmm. kind of... I suppose we understand the symbolic. Because of, you know, the we don't precious think, metals. Oh, well, I suppose, yeah. I was going to say, we don't think it's because we're shiny, because no. we can't trade something shiny. Yeah. I mean, unless we're talking with, hey, have this shiny penny, <laughs> because shiny pennies are better than dull pennies. That's objectively true. Um, anyway, we, we do have a sense of these things, and it turns out the, the capuchins did too. There was one instance where um, they were being fed their monkey chow, and in this particular instance, the monkey chow contained cucumber, and the cucumber had been sliced mm. into discs, and one of the monkeys picked up one of the slices of cucumber, and instead of eating it, went over to an experimenter and tried to trade the cucumber for food, or was, you know, seeing if it would work, um, which it didn't. So basically, that monkey was attempting forgery, mm. which is kind of cool. Yeah, they'd had vending machines. <laughs> I don't know what happens if you put cucumber in a vending machine. <laughs> you get an angry letter from the canteen. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's the lowest level monkey crime that occurred here. It only gets worse from now on. Uh, second of the three, and more disturbingly, was attempted theft. So they report no signs that the monkeys attempted to save their tokens. Um, but one captain uh, was being brought into the testing chamber from the adjacent living space um, when he suddenly grabbed the tray of tokens, flung them back into the main chamber and scurried out after them. And this was described in the New York Times as a combined jailbreak and bank heist, <laughs> which I quite like. Um, I spent quite a long time searching for names of films about bank heists that I could try and adapt for monkeys. Surprisingly difficult. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. that was kind of cool. I, uh, I I thought that was quite cute. I, I, I'm happy I mean, it's, that. It's not close cool. enough to go for Capuchin's Eleven, really, is it? Not really. Mm, no. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, that was number two. Finally, and most disturbingly, was prostitution. The oldest profession, turns out, could have been even older if only there had been experimenters <laughs> around to teach primordial uh, primates. When we contact that other life, <laughs> let's agree that Gene Roddenberry was right. One, don't interfere, but two, a communist system of government will make a galactic federation possible. Because showing monkeys money leads to this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what was his name? For some reason, I've got Adam West second name. It's not Adam Smith. Adam Smith. <laughs> Adam Smith. Batman. <laughs> Scottish capitalist Batman. He's kind of capitalist. He's pretty capitalist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a wealthy industrialist. Um, anyway, monkey prostitution. That is where we've been going with this the whole time. Um, in one rapidly clamped down upon incident, the authors observed a male monkey giving a token to a female in exchange for sex. Um, Although, you know, you can interpret this scientifically, this demonstrates the animals understood the concept of fungibility. Uh, not as fun is, as it sounds. No, sadly not. Um, because on completing the transaction, uh, in quotes... Sorry, I wasn't quite quick enough on that one. Ben, can I say something that's going to be quite controversial? What's that? Someone is about to bring us some delivery food. Can I just throw that out there? Oh, no. <laughs> Do you want a different one? No, no, don't no, play it. Don't play it. Don't play it. Oh, yeah. It's the jazz flute porn music. <laughs> oh. That's my favourite one. So, yeah, what happened? The monkeys understood fungibility. She exchanged it. What did she do with it? Upon completing the transaction with the male for which she received the token, she immediately went and exchanged it for a grape. Fungibility. Um, so, the researchers... She was just worried that, like, her pimp was going to take it. <laughs> Monkey pimp. Um, the researchers took immediate steps to ensure that this never happened again. They don't say what those steps were, but... Castration. <laughs> uh... And it is kind of understandable. I don't imagine Peter would be too pleased to hear of scientists setting up a monkey brothel. Although, given the fact that Peter euthanized like 80% of the animals they take in, controversial, um, it's maybe uh, not so bad setting up a monkey sex arcade. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> you didn't explain it, how it turns into a from brothel to an arcade. Well, because they're using tokens. They're, they're coins. Their... They're coins. No, no they're you... not coins. They're tokens. They're little metal discs with holes in have you not been to that country that has holes in the middle of their coins? No. 
The brothels there are great. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it's like the one-armed bandit takes in a whole other... Oh! <laughs> Anyway, um, so there we go. With okay, their, I just thought of something that was worse. I'm not going to say it. With their love of money, prostitutes and jelly, this study demonstrates yet another striking similarity between monkeys and premiership footballers. Wow. What a study. <laughs> what a fantastic study. Mine is much less good. <laughs> so, mine... <laughs> I thought this was a journal article, because when I read in a newspaper that one of Britain's leading psychologists, basically the chair of psychology at Manchester, had done a study, I assumed that he had done a study. But no! It turns out that a shoe company paid him to write some newspaper articles. Nevertheless, we at Psychomedia only looked down a little bit on fraudulent, corrupt research. Because goodness knows if someone offered this to me, I would do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll quote some of these things from the Telegraph, because everyone knows the Telegraph is the place where you want to learn about feet. Um, yeah, it's about feet. Um, <laughs> Just to get that out there before we start. <laughs> you know, yeah, they don't say what you can learn about people's attraction from cricket, sadly. Um, as far as I'm aware. Basically... We want for Zoltzman, I think. Oh, yeah, I should send that in to him. Um, basically... We assume that we can work out some non-verbal signals of attraction. Uh, for example, <laughs> I was just going to say, like, grabbing someone and attempting to mount them. <laughs> it's non-verbal. <laughs> vigorously humping someone's leg. <laughs> um, but uh, the Telegraph suggests women's blushes or the bat of the eyelids, which is more of a communicative non-verbal than subconscious non-verbal. There's signs for attraction. Experts, one guy who was paid by a shoe company, now believe that foot movements... Was it a sexy shoe company? I don't know. I haven't looked it up, but they do do heels. But who cares about shoes, man? Okay, Ben's giving me, like, a look. I don't know if it's a look that says, like, I find women in shoes attractive. Lots of people care about shoes. Maybe not sexually. Okay, but some who do. Oh, yeah, the one with Chewy Taleggio for. Yeah. Hey, remember that time in uh, Serenity where uh, uh, the operative stabs Mal in the side with a stomp and stiletto? (laughs) Mash up! Yeah, so apparently foot movements are a great subconscious indicator of things because they're (laughs) not... things. (laughs) Of secret messages like attraction, because everyone knows we're all trying to hide our attraction to each other the whole time. That's true. Some with more success than others, I guess. Like... Or women and me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've really got to stop How often on this. Those Venn diagram Continue. Um, basically, because we're kind of least conscious of them, so we're not consciously suppressing them in the way that we might with our arms, you know, kind of fold them safely to hide emotions or Desperately you know, put our hands over. Our <laughs> Whoa, we're we're back. Easy, we're back to the monkey footballers, I guess. <laughs> yep. Um, and um. So, they've come up with some things to look out for. So, let's let's try some of these out. If a woman, and apparently these only apply to women because men don't talk with their feet. Uh, I find that Although, unlikely. You know, it is um, notable that, except in Australia, men don't generally have their feet on display quite as much. Hmm, yeah. Um, and I guess we're not into, like, I mean, I was going to say we're not into, like, designer shoes and stuff. It's interesting that we talked in the humour section about comparing to peacocks. Because normally... Like, in the bird world, the men are doing the display stuff. Yeah. Whereas in humans, like, there are different domains of display. And in terms of, like, dress and stuff, you kind of ascribe that more to females. Whereas it's just, like, all men look good in a suit, pretty much. Okay. Um, so, let's try some of these gestures. Uh, if a woman moves her feet away from her body while giggling to adopt a more open-legged stance... <laughs> I'm just miming this now. You You can't see this. <laughs> So yeah, what we're saying is, if a woman giggles and opens her legs, <laughs> she's attracted to you. <laughs> Jeff Beatty, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? Okay, okay. If her legs are crossed, the sign of the international sign of the X, uh, then she is a member of the X-Men. Was about as plausible as crossed or tucked under her body, then the suitor's advances are likely to end in disaster. Not, not, might be rejected. Disaster. Because that's what rejection is, telegraph readers. It's disaster. Suggests women with crossed legs are literally about to explode. (laughs) Yeah, like that guy in Heroes. Um, 
But apparently what men do show for their they don't show anything about attraction, they do apparently show um, truth. Because if you keep your feet unnaturally still, you are lying. And hey, my feet didn't move at all when I said that sentence. <laughs> um, it's not like a like diviner of truth. If you say something that you don't know whether it's true or not, and you find, ah, my feet didn't move at all, that obviously <laughs> doesn't work. So yeah, uh, Jeff Beatty, Dean of Psychology at Manchester, cheapening himself. Um, he said, whilst people might not know what their facial expressions or hands might be imparting, they will often have n no idea whether their feet are moving and the messages their feet are sending out. People can mask smiles or mask what they're doing with their eyes by, like, closing them and having that conversation continuously. Um, but feet are actually a bit easier to read because people don't know what they're doing with them. The secret language of feet <laughs> can reveal a great deal about our personality, what we think of the person we're talking to, and even our emotional and psychological state. Um, that's probably fine. This guy actually does a lot of research on two things. Nonverbal gestures, focusing on um, not just feet, but kind of whole body stuff. And whether people care about carbon footprints when buying products. How does a guy get those research specialism, right? I'm going through his journal list. Well, he kept writing the word foot so much. <laughs> yeah, it's all footprints of different sorts. Um, <laughs> he added, if you are meeting someone for the first time, laughter is not necessarily a good thing. People might be laughing at you rather than with you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Brilliant. But Lee basically... Basically, if yeah, exactly, Lee knows what he's doing. If a woman's feet move when she laughs, it is crushing it is... your dreams. Lee wasn't crushing my dreams that much, but he did imply that you can't really prove that you're not in the friend zone. But maybe this is what BT is adding here. If a woman's feet move when she laughs, it is one of the most powerful signals that she likes you. I'm not going to talk about any of the other like more scientifically stringent and the female equivalent of the penile plethysmograph or anything. Um, yeah. And if they're crossing their feet or legs, not good, fine. If a man's nervous, he will increase his foot movement. I'm doing a kind of uh, river dance there. Weird tap dance thing. Yeah. Um, and um, alpha males and females have a low level of foot movement because they control their bodies. <laughs> uh, extroverts are obviously not that movement, whereas introverts are really, like, moving. Because you see all those guys, like, sitting in the corner, just... <laughs> I... Trying to think of a way of describing Jeff, that. The, Big yeah, Big Jeff, that massive introvert, <laughs> Big Jeff. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was compiled on behalf of shoemakers Jeffrey West. We'll look at some of their shoes, you know, just to see. Um, and yeah, so basically, yeah. So conclusions of things that you can look for. Attraction, women open their legs when they are attractive, moving their feet away from their body. So kind of sitting in a kind of V-shaped, Y-shaped, right angle thing. Of course, if... Feet, Especially when laughing. If their feet are moving away from their body too fast towards... <laughs> yeah, you're being kicked in the balls. You in the head. <laughs> oh yeah, back to Taekwondo. <laughs> um, repulsion. <laughs> a woman crosses her legs and that gives her the power of repulsion. <laughs> um, or keeps them tucked beneath her body. I mean, nervousness, men move their feet more. Dishonesty, no foot movement. Professor Beatty's main credentials, not just the Dean of Psychology at Manchester. I'll leave you with this final thought. He was the resident psychologist on all the Big Brother shows. He's written a book about the psychological things he learnt from that experimental environment. BT, I hate you. <laughs> I'm really angry. And wow. also, I'm going to stare at women's feet now, and that's your fault. <laughs> it wasn't really appropriate. It's, it's a really good piece of music to end it on. <laughs> right, well, that's the end of that study. Bye. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> Unless I want to mention, like, Fred West footwear. Too dark? Uh, so the outro this week, um, perhaps you ought to describe it for the, the kind listeners, Tim. Well, basically, we want to pander to our international audience. Uh, and because some of our fans have been listening to the show, but haven't really been able to necessarily, uh, you know, have it in their own language, we thought we'd just give you some of our uh, show titles in some of the more popular languages spoken amongst our top 10 listening countries. OK, well, why don't, why don't you kick it off, Tim, and I'll go through my list and see if I can find uh, uh, some of my favourites. Uh, OK, Um Psychomedia a flevering 18.9 recurring. <laughs> Enya vordat zelda behalva vordat se. Shall I uh, shall I give you a couple? Yeah, uh, go for so it. So we've got uh, 
Cicomedia Episodio 25. This is, these are Portuguese, by the way. Uh, Multiri Spensary Integratio. <laughs> it's so similar. <laughs> um, uh, any more? Uh, this is in Dutch again. Psychomedia a flavoring 14. Votin Vrolika Shovi Haben van Dag. Ah, wonderful. We've got Psychomedia uh, a Demi Episodio 37. Beep Voce Tim Beep Todos a Beep. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, Psychomedia Afleverung 4, Gindir and Verden, Birokend in Hetmaken van Dieser podcast. Oh, this is wonderful. Psychomedia Episodio 2, uh, Sexo e Pugs e Salsitieros. Oh, yeah, I liked that one. <laughs> um, or, uh, Psychomedia Afleverung 38, Vrauen, Vrauen, oh, it's like Frauen in German. Vrauen Reuken better? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh gosh, there's there's got to be some ah here we go. Well, I mean this one is very different. So, uh, this is I'm not going to tell you which episode this is. This is Sicko Media episode X. Viti. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, similar principle with uh, Sicko Media Aflevering forty two. Tim is in Illusi. Lunch Tim doppel so. <laughs> Hang on, where's your that, oh yeah well Sicko Media episodeio forty two. Tim e um, uh, Tim e uma illuseo amotio Tim duplamonte. 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 Right, I guess uh, we should and, say goodbye before well, we. Well, maybe one more. Patrice. Okay, you got one more. Sicko media episode. Actually, hang on, one one sec. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, Sicko media episodeio forty one. Nervos dem dem nervos dem nervos millinizados. There we go. Hooray! Huzzah! Goodbye, international Arriba. listeners. Carry on listening, <laughs> despite our deep, deep cultural prejudices. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to make a stereotypically Rastafarian, like, uh, bidding goodbye, but I can't think of anything. Oh, well. Bye for now. Ta-ta!